Hey, y'all, I'm going to take a second to give a quick shout out to the official mortgage lender of the Hunt Lift Deep podcast. That's Casey Burns of Prime Lending Mortgage. I've known Casey for 10 years and he's the only lender I use. I've used Casey to purchase two houses and the process has been seamless and easy each time. He's the heart of an educator and he truly cares about what's best for his clients. He specializes in VA loans, but can handle FHA, conventional investment loans as well. He's a true expert and specialist in his field, and there's no one I recommend more than Casey. You can contact Casey at casey.burns at primelending.com. Reach him by phone at 919-710-1864. You can also check out all his reviews at www.closewithcasey.com. Thanks, y'all. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Hunt, Lift, Eat podcast brought to you by Hunt, Lift, Eat official. I'm running host tonight. I'm Bobby McCready. Uh, with me today, I got two of our great team members, and we have two guests as usual. And before we get to them, uh, we got Garrett and Caleb. What's going on, boys? How are we? Doing well. Dude, it is a phenomenal, I think it's what, Tuesday now? Should be chasing whitetails, but I'm hanging out in the great state of Pennsylvania. Not too far from you, Bobby. So, I mean, you might as well just come hang out with me for a few. First off, you're on the right time now. So, how's it feel to be on the right time zone? And second, you could probably smell Snooky from where you're at. So, I mean, that is just awesome right there. Dude, it's actually kind of bad. I think it's kind of stuck on my upper lip or something. I'm not really sure. I'm kind of concerned for myself. I might have to go find some hand sanitizer at this point. Who knows? It's, it's all right. It, it washes off. You know, that's that's fine. You can edit this, right? Are we going to edit this or is this going to actually we, go in the real? We don't. We just say we edit things. We don't actually do okay. that stuff. You know, yeah. That's. Oh, oh. <laughs> if that's the case, then why not? Let's get to the stars of the show here and who's hanging out with us tonight. Yeah. So I'm upset because I wasn't on this episode last time. So now I'm really excited to be a part of this. And uh, we have Tom and Thomas coming over from Are you got, are Colorado, right? Yeah. Different yes, parts? Sir. Okay, I thought so. Uh, why don't you guys uh, introduce you, your company again, and uh, we'll kick us off. Sounds good. Go for it, Dad. Yep. So my name's Tom Desing. I'm the owner of My High Note Game Calls, and Thomas is the co-owner with me. And uh, we are out of Loveland, Colorado. So uh, we specialize in elk calls and elk calling and classes and elk calling classes, seminars, all kinds of stuff like that. And uh, we have a website. We're at uh, www.milehighnotegamecalls.com. And uh, we love hunting. We love elk hunting is our passion and really all hunting is our passion. But um, we love being in the elk woods. I think you guys are underselling yourselves here a little bit. And I'm going to give you a little bit of crap, Tom and Thomas, just for the fact that, guys, this is mild high note game calls, owners and co-owner here. These guys are world-class elk callers. They've been in regionals. They've been in worlds. They've been on the stage with the best people out there. And they might know how to call an elk. It's still debatable. I haven't really figured it out, knowing the two of them for the past half a decade, decade. But they can at least make sounds that don't sound like a turkey. So I know that they're doing something right. But for the record, we've got two phenomenal guests on here. Great company, great organization. And this is actually part two. Part one was, uh, what, about a month ago, right before elk season kicked off? Thomas, we talked about your badass moose hunt. And I think we're going to probably talk a little bit about the sheep hunt that Tom had, that once-in-a-lifetime Colorado tag. Yeah. Or some to some people, it was a multiple-in-a-lifetime because they were older generations and they're kind of lucky. But let's dive right into it. Garrett, what's kicking, man? 
Fellas, I uh, welcome back, first of all. But uh, I got a chance to spend a little bit of time with you, Thomas, in the woods this year. At least spend a night in camp with you. Why don't we start with uh, how did this season go with you, fellas? Oh, boy. <laughs> this season was... Uh... <laughs> You know, it was, it was definitely I mean, a rough season we, for us this year. Yeah, we had our struggles, but even after all of that, what did we spend about 15 to, I don't know, Thomas did a few more days than I, I spent, did, but. Yeah, I ended up spending 20 days in the woods, elk woods this year, and uh, I did end up with a cow here in Colorado. You can get an antlerless and an either sex archery tag and most of the over the counter units. So. Um, usually do that just you know most important thing for us is filling the freezer so um, usually get that cow tag as an opportunity if a cow comes in front of me I can have that opportunity to be able to continue to hunt for a bull uh, opening weekend I did shoot a cow um, and then like I said we spent 20 days in the woods some of it Garrett uh, was with you uh, a couple days there with so I was helping a buddy for a couple days on a deer hunt which was also unsuccessful <laughs> Um, but, uh, we, we got into some deer, we got into some elk and then, uh, throughout our season this year, it wasn't from lack of effort. I can tell you that much. Um, like I just told you guys, I mean, between the hunting and then I got sick right after hunting, I've down about 15, 20 pounds right now. So, <laughs> um, we, in the 20 days I hunted, uh, I don't know, I probably put on 120 plus miles uh last month so um my dad you you hunted what probably about 12 days yeah something like that i think 12 or 14 or something but i i ended up getting sick at the end of our trip so i spent two or the last couple of days in camp just because i was so sick and that's probably why thomas got sick i probably gave him something but probably <laughs> yeah you won't admit that yeah. yet but <laughs> but, but yeah. you know as rough as we had it this year you know we had another guy in camp with us cj and uh uh you know we ended up cj ended up filling all three of his tags so he sh he shot a cow a bull and a bear so um you know we got four animals season. out of three guys so uh, you can't really feel too sorry for us i guess but <laughs> yeah, i'm guessing cj worse. didn't get sick no cj <laughs> you know no sickness there <laughs> cj's out hunting uh first rifle season right now and i he just sent me a couple pictures of two more down bulls so he's he's calling in elk for those guys too so he's uh he's one of our pro staff guys and he's he's a great guy a good friend of ours cj's a hell of a hunter and honestly if you want to dive into it he's had success since the beginning of the year with turkey season too i mean he laid the smack down on some thunder chickens yeah maybe we should uh hang out with him some of these days but yeah uh, yeah see all of you guys at the sportsman's expo correct yep you guys yep. are gonna we'll have to be there stuff? yeah we'll be there in january at the ise show in denver and then uh, we'll be at the western hunt expo in february Oh, that's perfect. I'll end up seeing you over there. We actually set up a booth over at the Denver one. It'll be our first expo. I'll be running that, so we'll be hanging out with you guys. Nice. We'll have awesome. to shoot some bugles across the expo at each other. Mine yeah. won't sound nearly as good as yours, but at least you'll know that I'm Doug Flutie and <laughs> you guys are actual elk. <laughs> yeah, we did call in our share of hunters this year. That was That was pretty exciting a few times, but pretty disappointing we don't like calling the hunters in but. it's always fun to play with some hunters you know it's funny that you guys mentioned that and and i 
you know, as we're diving into the elk season here in Colorado and we're going to talk about your successes and failures, Garrett, yours too, and mine too, I would assume. I know for you, uh, Bobby, you don't really have any elk success or, you know, anything else out there other than hanging out with people Jeez. in Jersey Shore. So they don't really count. Um, but I know we're going to dive into that. And I, I think this was one of those really weird years personally. Elk were in unique locations. The calling was different than something I've ever experienced. And honestly, everybody that I talked to had a different experience this year. Um, everywhere from screaming bulls in the beginning of September to dark and quiet at the end of the September. I mean, it was just all over the board. So let's dive into it, guys. Tell us about your season and how everything went. Yeah, for sure. Like you said, I mean, opening weekend, uh, we didn't hear any bugles. Um, we were there for four days. I think we might have heard one bugle where we were opening weekend. And uh, just that, that cow came in silent uh, alone from what we could tell, uh, gave me an opportunity. And then as the season went on, I have a, a bunch of trail cameras and stuff like that on the mountain. And, uh, we weren't, we weren't up there during the muzzleloader week. And that seemed to be, which was odd. It was a full moon, like worse conditions. If you're planning a hunt, right. If you play the moon phases and the rut, all of that, it, it seemed to me like it was going to be the worst week of the year to hunt or of the season to hunt. And according to my trail cameras, it definitely was not because there was elk rutting everywhere, bugling, chasing cows, middle of the day, during a full moon. I mean, it was just, it was bizarre. And then, you know, we went up the last two weeks of the season straight and, uh, I mean, we got into elk. It just wasn't, they just disappeared. I don't know. I don't know what happened. They kind of shut up. We, we were getting into some bulls. Um, I actually, I did wound a bull too, to mention, um, shot him high, kind of a no man's land and couldn't find him. So that was, uh, definitely disappointing. But again, he came in silent, no bugling, nothing. And, uh, as the season progressed that last week of the season, we started hearing some more bugling, um, uh, just kind of a couple bulls in particular that we were chasing more of the herd bulls, but, um, yeah, it was, it was fairly silent. We had some opportunities, but it was definitely a rough year as far as uh, elk activity goes, I would say. Wouldn't you, Dad? Yeah, for sure. We It was definitely different. And like you said, the, the elk seemed to react a little bit differently that last weekend, that last week of the season. And um, there was one funny thing that happened with us. We, we were up in this one spot and, uh, you know, midday it was hot and we were just like, man – we're staying in all day, so let's let's kick back on take a little nap and you know, we're sitting there and I don't know about I think it's about three or so. All of a sudden, you know, I just hear this bugle in my head, you know, and I'm laying there sleeping and I like snapped up and I was like, dude, wake up. I heard a bugle. I mean, it was so real, you know, and so then we're we're sitting there talking back and forth, and Thomas is like, Are you sure? Are you sure you weren't dreaming? I, I'm pretty sure I heard you snoring. And I was like, I don't know. I, I'm almost sure I heard a bugle, you know. And then we kind of looked at each other and we're like, well, we aren't hearing anything else, and we haven't heard too many bugles. So I chalked it up. I must have been dreaming, just dreaming about bulls bugling. So then, uh, what was it, dude? About two days later. 
Yeah, we hunted out that afternoon. We we actually heard a bull bugle in that morning. Um, but we while we were taking our nap, I heard some rustling behind us and coming down the mountain. And I uh, looked up, and there was another father son duo hunting. They were just coming down the mountain, and uh, so I went and talked to them and told them, you know, hey, we had a bull bugling down the the valley here. We backed off, you know, about 800 yards away from him, gave him some breathing space. We're gonna go after him uh, this evening, and I mean, that's right. public land hunting. So is what it is. They, they took that knowledge and went with it and went that way. So, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I guess that's the game you play, you know. Um, but so we stayed where we were. We continued our napping. And uh, like you said, probably two days later. We weren't spooning, uh, well, though, just for the record. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we uh, hunted out that afternoon. Didn't get into anything. It was silent. Um, we just chalked it up to those guys, kind of ruined our hunt, or the elk just weren't being active. And uh, two days later, sure enough, we had a trail camera about 100 yards from where we were napping. And looking back on it, it was about 3.15, a bull chasing six cows, bugling right on camera. So I guess he did hear an elk. It was 100 yards from us, ran right by us. So we were sitting there sleeping. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> You know, to touch on that, I guess, you know, the midday, I know a lot of guys don't hunt midday, um, ourselves included sometimes, you know, it's hot, it's brutal, you don't want to sit there in the heat, you don't think it's worth it, but uh, we've gotten to some good action, you know, midday, and yeah. it's always good to stick it out out there, you, especially if you have a bull bugling in the morning, and you know, maybe they bedded down, you are able to see them, possibly bed down, where we hunt, it's dark timber, you're lucky to see 40, 50, 60 yards, Um so, you know, obviously we can't see them bedding down, but it, hang tight with them and you could get that midday action where they get up and stretch and get away from the cows. And, you know, you can make some magic happen midday. So, or just take a nap and they run by you. So yeah. I was, I was actually just south of where you guys were at across the highway and it's wild. I was having almost the exact opposite experience. I was getting into loud bugles and three or four elk all getting after it with each other on <clears throat> pretty much a few different mountains. And it was kind of same deal though. It was all midday stuff. I'd strike them up about 12, 1230 in the afternoon and then get within 100, 150 yards of them by four o'clock in the evening. And they were there by that point, they were really ready to go. And yeah, I was, it was all, it was almost all day. I was getting into bugles just, just even just a few mountainsides over from you guys. Hmm. And then I had the exact opposite of all four of us. <laughs> you know, I went into no man's land at about 12,000 feet and it was just a, a straight transition uh, zone with typical pre-rut activity. One or two bulls coming through the valley every day, looking for cows, not finding what they were, getting quiet midday and then just keep pushing right out. Right. Well, I switched it up and dropped almost 5,000 feet in elevation. And that first day when I got there, I had a bull bugling within 100 yards of the truck when I closed the door. And then that night, uh, as soon as I went and started glassing, it was one of my honey holes, one of those places that I always go back to, even though I absolutely hate hunting it. I glassed up 15 different bulls in one draw that's about a mile and a half by wow. two miles long. And then just spent the next few days trying to get in on those elk. But it was a, a unique season, man. It was kind of disheartening and then kind of like uplifting in moments and then just absolutely disastrous at other times. And I actually like the fact that you touch on that uh, father and son duo that 
kind of went into your zone and played with that. And I'm going to elaborate on that for a quick second. I'm going to be notorious for what I typically do on these and go off on a quick rant. Uh, when I was up there around 12,000 feet, I met these two guys at the trailhead. They saw me gearing up, loading up my pack and ready to go. And they ended up being um, two army vets, great guys. Hunted with them the entire weekend that I was up there before I switched elevations because we all talked. We made a game plan. Here's where I'm going to go. Here's where we're going to go. We didn't want to blow the elk out of the valley. We were going to work the elk together. And we ended up hunting literally back and forth, working the same elk, pushing the same elk around all weekend long. And it was phenomenal. We were on bugles when they were there. We were hunting together. We were making it work. And it's amazing how a little bit of courtesy in the backcountry when you're meeting good, like-minded people can go a long ways. So it sucks that you guys dealt with that. And then after I left, those two guys that I met, they had the same problem with an outfitter that they met. So we just got to, we all got to work together a little bit here. The goal was to put meat in the freezer and sometimes it takes a little bit of strategy. That's uh, it's a little disheartening you guys ran into that, but. Yeah, definitely. I think, uh, you know, we, we, we touched on that last uh, podcast too about my moose hunt and had that whole situation as well. And, you know, I think a lot of guys listening to these podcasts too, and I think it's one of the biggest things to take away from it is to get back to the ethics of hunting and, you know, uh, courtesy, like you said, and, uh, you know, that's, that's how I was raised to hunt. And, you know, there was a lot of times where we'd even have areas where we were going to go to. And, uh, a lot of times it's not, it's not like a trailhead parking lot where there's, you know, spots for 15 cars or something like that. It's just a pull off on the side of the road where we make our own trailhead and uh you know people hunt there as well but there's many a times this past season even where my dad and i somebody beat us to the spot when we go somewhere else um you know just because we don't want to interrupt their hunt and that's just that's just how we operate and um i think a lot of new hunters out there you guys should uh start you know picking up on that practice as well and uh, i'm sure you guys have had the the situation where you've had that hunter that doesn't respect that and there's nothing more frustrating and um instead of just saying screw it it's public land and retaliate like you said caleb just work together even if that means hunting together sometimes i've hunted with strangers as well and you know it's whether it's big game small game waterfowl public land you know it's sometimes it's better just to team up than compete against each other and end up fighting you know or whatever it might be so yeah we have even we even had a couple instances up there where, you know, we did run into a couple of hunters and we were trying to walk up to them to try to make a plan. And they just, you know, turn and walk away from you and, you know, they don't want to talk to you. And it's like, you know, it's frustrating because you're trying to make a plan with somebody and they're just going and doing their own thing and they don't really care what you do. You know, it's like kind of screw you, which, you know, we're all out there trying to accomplish the same thing and you know all of that's all of our passion so we we really need to work together more and especially now because there is more people archery hunting and more people in the woods and um this year we we did feel crowded this year i can tell you that well and i think that's one of those things when uh when i ended up getting up there to the trailhead and i set camp and then i went to the glassing spot i told those guys i was going to be at and I get up to the glassing point and they're there, right? So be it. Who cares? Didn't really bother me that much. Spent the next hour bullshitting with them and talking to them. And right there, at, eh, probably 20 minutes before dark, a great six by bull came through the valley, you know, less than 300 yards away, working his way through the trees. And I looked at both those guys. I was like, hey, 
your first time elk hunting in Colorado, you're an elk hunter, you've been around, you know what's going on. Here's what I want you to do, right? And I immediately move those guys into position. I drop back into a calling sequence. And they just looked at me like, what? Are you kidding me right now? I'm like, yeah, we're, we're all here for the same goal and the same reason. Like, let me help you. And right. same thing, right? Let's work these elk. Let's make a plan. And let's harvest some animals. And I'll go home with a, a full freezer. And not to mention the one army guy. It's his first time running elk. So he was willing to dive off into this wilderness by himself. And he actually spent the last five days of the season a little over 12,000 feet by himself hiking up through some miserable country. So hats off to that guy. But uh, yeah. I mean, it's a, a little bit of common courtesy in the woods goes a long ways. Sure does. Absolutely. Kind of touching on what you were talking about, Tom, just feeling crowded in the woods. So I spread my dad's ashes up on one of those mountains in the, in the unit that I hunt in. And so one of the days, I mean, September is it, it's that time that I have to go see my dad kind of thing. And he, I have a specific tree I go visit, and it's right, it's right off the trail there. In it was, but it was about eleven thirty when I decided the day that I was going to go see my dad's tree, and between the trailhead and, and where my dad's tree is at, I think it's maybe. I'd be over exaggerating to say three quarters of a mile, and in that three quarters of a mile, I met fourteen hunters oh over the course God. of fifteen minutes. Oh. Just, I was walking to my dad's tree, walking in, and all of these guys were walking out on the trail, groups of three, four, five, like, wow. wow. I mean, so be it, but like, that's, that's a lot of people to yeah. be coming across on one mountain. And they're all, yeah. I mean, every single one of them is complaining about each other group because they were all stepping on each other's <laughs> toes. And like, I mean, my, my hunt was definitely way different. I spent most of the time with nobody even close to me maybe one other hunter and it took some work to get back into that into that kind of stuff but at this point that's that's the only place i'm not finding a ton of people at did you by chance happen to run into um scotty eisen and his best friend cameron haynes back there i think they were way further than where i was at yeah probably <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, I've got some questions though. I know we're talking a little bit about this season. And I think we're going to dive into this here towards the end of the podcast, but I am dying to hear about the sheep hunt. I think a lot of our listeners are too. We're talking not necessarily about a <clears throat> once in a lifetime tag, but we are talking about a once in a lifetime opportunity in Colorado. And I think that's where you really need to dive into understanding. And I think this is where there's a misconception is a moose tag, a bighorn sheep tag, a mountain goat tag in Colorado. It's not necessarily a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity because really you're not hunting a trophy ram. You're not going after a 190-inch bighorn sheep. You are hunting Colorado for what might be the only chance that you have an opportunity to hunt that animal and that species here. So it is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And I think that's a, a huge thing to dive into because at that point in time, I mean, you are putting all your marbles in a basket you're rocking and rolling and you're ready to go. And, and Tom, really, from what I've talked to you and Thomas about over the past couple of years, that is exactly what this hunt played out to be for you guys. I want to know it. Let's unpack it. Yeah, it, it, it really was something special and something that, you know, I'll never forget. And having Thomas there was just incredible, you know, to share that experience and just like with his moose. But 
Um, it all started, you know, like it does for everybody. You, you put that tag in and you try to figure out, well, what unit should I put in for? And, you know, I've always wanted to draw the unit in my backyard just because it's, I can spend so much time there, you know, and scouting and, and looking. And I've been putting in, you know, I had 23 points when I, when I drew the tag, but I think I was putting in about four years before the weighted system came along. So I basically had max points and, and I did a little research going in cause you know, they offer two tags. So, um, but the year that I put in, which was last year, they only offered one tag because there was a hunter from the previous year who turned his tag in and they gave it back to him. He had lost his father or something and right before the hunt. So the division told him that he could turn his tag back in. And so they only offered one tag for the unit. So I really was torn whether I should even try for it just because one tag is you know, might as well be putting my Powerball numbers down or whatever. And, but I said, nope, I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to put in for that unit because that's the unit I want. And then kind of forgot about it. And I was sitting at my desk at work and on the day they drew the tags and I get an email from the Division of Wildlife and I'm like, whoa, wonder what that is. And then I remembered, oh man, that's probably my sheep notification you know so i clicked on it i had nobody calling me tell, telling me check your tag you know check to see if you do the tag or whatever i just randomly clicked on the email looked at it and it said it was successful and i was like i i i, I can't even describe the feelings that i was going through just for that i was like oh my god so i started picking up the phone and calling everybody i knew just telling them i drew the tag i can't believe it the only tag you know and god oh, it was just incredible and then i called my friend tracy who i've been hunting with for many years and he answers the phone he goes you drew the tag huh and i was like how the hell did you know well it turns out the game warden that is in this area called tracy because they're buddies and he goes your buddy drew the sheep tag. <laughs> so awesome. I didn't even get to surprise Tracy, but man, it was just incredible. So I was on this like unbelievable high, you know, for about, I don't know, a week or so. And I uh, went to the local bow shop, bought a brand new RX five thought, man, this is going to be the best ever. I got a reason to buy a brand new bow now. And, you know, archery only tag. So what's that? It was archery only tag, so that was yeah. It was it was an archery only unit, so yeah. I I uh, thought, man, this is great, and shot the bow a little bit, and then uh, turkey season opened up, so I took my grandson up turkey hunting, and needless to say, it didn't go well. I ended up, long story short, I ended up slipping on a rock up there and just falling harder than I probably ever fell in my life. Went to break my fall and dislocated a finger completely tore my rotator cuff on my scapula and my shoulder and i went from the highest highs to the lowest lows in a matter of a week and a half or two weeks so i was just devastated you know and of course the insurance company's like well you can't you know, you, you can't do an MRI till you do some physical therapy. And I'm like, I can't even move my arm. There's no way I'm going to do physical therapy. And so by the time, you know, I did everything the insurance company wanted me to do, they finally approved the MRI and shoot, I think 
by then it was June or something. And so the MRI came back as a complete rotator cuff tear and the scapula tear. And, you know, I, I have a buddy who's a surgeon. So I called him up and had him look at it. I go, is there any way you think I can not do this surgery? And he was like, there's no way you got to do the surgery. There's no other choice. So I ended up doing the surgery and then, you know, I did get a really good surgeon. Um, the one for the Colorado, uh, hockey team there, the, um, the avalanche. <clears throat> not the avalanche, but the semi pro team. Oh, the Eagles. Yeah. And, and Dr. Gray does all of their surgeries and I happened to get right into him, which was a godsend. And, but he told me right off the bat, he said, you can plan on, uh, healing 10% a month. So of course I was wow. like, oh, man, that's not good. So then I'm thinking, do I turn my tag back in? What should I do? And I did not want to turn the tag back in cause it took me 27 years to draw it. So I was talking to him about it and he was, and he was like, well, I can write you a ADA, uh, application that we can turn into the division and you can use a crossbow. And, you know, I've been bow hunting my whole life and I don't know much about crossbows, but I know they're controversial and a lot of people don't like them and I'm including me. So I was like, but when push came to shove, I wasn't turning the tag back in. So we went ahead and did that. And then the division approved my uh, ADA permit through the end of the year, through December 31st. So that took me through the archery season. So. The only problem I had now is I don't have a crossbow. So I ended up having to go out and shop for crossbows and spend another couple thousand dollars on crossbow. So I ended up getting a good crossbow. And then I started reading the regulations on the crossbows. And um, they, they told me that I couldn't use a scope on it. So I had to take the scope off of it and put a red dot on it. And it can only be one power. And so there was a lot of limitations. And then uh, just the awkwardness of carrying the thing was really hard to get past. And um, But I still thought, you know, I always heard all these stories about how great crossbows are and how accurate they are. And, and they really are. But when you're shooting a red dot scope and you only got one aiming point, it's incredible at how much the bolt drops. I mean... I ended up sighting that in finally at 50 yards, but at 20 yards, Thomas, what were we shooting? Like probably six inches probably high, six seven inches, inches high. And then you go back to 60, 60 yards and it starts dropping like that. And so you're thinking, well, if I'm close, I guess I got to aim low. And if it's further than 50, I'm going to have to aim a little high. And, you know, and I'm thinking, man, this thing would have been a lot easier just to carry my compound. I got, I got sight pins for all those distances, you know, but, but that wasn't going to happen. So we just kind of went with the, with the crossbow and we shot it, you know, we both shot it quite a bit. They're actually pretty fun to shoot. So we enjoyed uh, getting to learn about shooting crossbows and, everything and then uh and then the scouting began you know we were still i guess we were still scouting for thomas's moose as well so we had to get through the moose hunt and everything but then once the moose hunt wrapped up and then thomas took his famous spill up at the top of uh the mountains of aspen chasing mountain goats 
he ended up separating his shoulder and that kind of ruined our elk hunt plan right at the end of the season. So then we just focused on the sheep. So I think I started getting up in that Canyon on probably late September, early October. And I spent every day I could up there just getting to know every sheep I could find and what their, what their behavior was, what they were doing. And, and it was a pretty exciting couple months leading up to that December 1st opening day. So. That's amazing. I got to say your emotion levels within a short amount of time must've been like a, a, like the most craziest roller coaster I could imagine because of how much celebration and joy you had to get that tag. And I'm sure as soon as you fell and you got that news, the first word was not like, Hey, will I ever do this? It's, Oh my God, my fucking tag. It's that's right. probably the yeah. first thing out of you. Yeah. Absolutely. That's amazing. I mean, it, it, I was close I to saw, me. I saw therapy, happy huh? tears when he drew. <laughs> I saw happy tears when he drew. And then when he fell, I saw sad tears. So it was uh, <laughs> definitely a roller coaster. It was a roller coaster of a year really for us. Like, like between the, between the moose, uh, we shed tears on that. And then like you mentioned between the moose hunt and the goat, or sheep hunt. I went on my buddy's goat hunt and I took a spill down the mountain when we were packing out his goat and search and rescue had to come and get me off the mountain. And it was, yeah, that was a nightmare as well. And then luckily I didn't, I don't think I tore it. I never ended up getting an MRI or anything, but I could shoot my bow fine and everything seemed to heal up. I got lucky. My shoulder was dislocated. Like the humerus bone was down here, down my rib cage and was out for like seven hours and yeah, I got lucky. And then we started scouting and you know, that, that scouting was awesome for the sheep. That unit in particular is very um, accessible, I guess, if you will. So, you know, being able to scout it, it is a 20 minute drive from my house, 10 minutes from his house. Um, super, super awesome in that aspect. And, you know, I was able to get great pictures of all these sheep and we were just watching them because they rut in the, like late November, early December. And so we were able to watch them, you know, headbutting and just got all kinds of video through the phone scope. And just it, it was awesome just to be able to go up there and scout them and, you know, give each sheep a nickname and decide which one that we wanted to target and <laughs> go after. So. Yeah. And we had two and, uh, one of them I called crooked horn, just, he was real broomed on one side and he had just a little kind of bump in his horn at the end. And then the other one was, we called him big T just for a big Thompson, uh, Ram. And, and he was, he was a uh, smoking Ram too. He was probably, I don't know. I I'd say he probably had 40 inch, uh, horns on each side, not broomed much. And uh, didn't have the mass that Crooked Horn had, but definitely, definitely a Boone and Crockett ram. I mean, both of them were. And those were our two target rams. And I decided going in, if a, whichever one I had the opportunity at first, I was going to take. So, um, you know, there was another hunter that was up there. And I ended up, my buddy Tracy killed a ram up there a couple of years ago. And, and he's uh, a really crazy sheep guy now. He like he's up there all the time, and um, so he was kind of guiding the other hunter. So we all—I uh, knew we were all going to be heading up there fairly early. But Thomas and I put the sheep to bed on 
Friday night or whatever day of the week it was. I, I don't remember now. I think it might've been a Thursday night or something. The season opened on the first. So we put the sheep to bed that night and went back up there at first light and barely first light. And we pulled in, and just hiked up in there a ways just to be first on it, you know, and we ended up seeing them and getting up in front of them. And they were kind of working their way from east to west, kind of on the side of this mountain. And we kept inching our way up there. And before we knew it, there was kind of uh, as in many cases, you know, you get in a, in a unit like this, you get looky-loos from the road. So people start watching and people are pulling over. And, you know, we had a few spotters down on the road too. And um, then Tracy pulled up with the other hunter. So pretty soon, I don't know, there's probably five or six people watching. And uh, somebody was videotaping through the phone scope, which was kind of cool. And um, But all the sheep started working in front of us and... Uh, Big T came out first and stopped broadside at about 53 yards, which was perfect. So I was on him and I was just ready to pull the trigger and a ewe stepped in front of him. So then they both looked and saw us and just took off like as fast as they could left or right and spooked kind of, you know, so I was like, oh man. So then a few more sheep came out and then um, Crooked Horn was in the back, but he kind of ran out towards the front and he stopped and paused right in front to about 53 yards. And, um, I went ahead and, uh, put it on him. That was really my Ram that I was really favoring. And Thomas really wanted the, the big T Ram. But, um, so I went ahead and, and shot and it was, it was uphill at a pretty good angle and my arrow went in at a pretty good spot, but it kind of, at the angle, it kind of went up into the sheep and, and caught the bottom of the spine. So it broke his, it broke his back right there. And he kind of fell and, and he just started rolling towards us. And we were like, Oh man, here he comes, you know, and then all, all hell's breaking loose. Cause I'm trying to figure out how to load another bolt into the, into the uh, crossbow, you know, and in the heat of the situation, but by the time I got the other bolt in, the sheep had rolled past us and was pretty much laying dead, uh, like what, 20 yards from us. So it was, <laughs> it was pretty Five, exciting 10 yards from us. Yeah. yeah. And uh, then the celebration started, you know, there, there was cheering from the road. There was like, we were up just in awe just of the whole situation. And I mean, uh, we got a lot of this, this in the moose hunt I have on my YouTube channel as well. Um, I did a little video of that and stuff and, um, put it to some music and stuff, but you could see some of the exciting parts of those hunts and on our YouTube channel. It, it was, it was a tearjerker for me. I'll tell you that waiting that long for that tag and sharing it with Thomas, my son, and just the whole experience, it all ended on the opening day, but man, it was, it was just unbelievable. And then, you know, to get a Ram like I got was just crazy. I mean, it, it ended up scoring a net of 182 and seven eights. So, you know, it was, it was just a, a monster Ram. So, so blessed and just thank God every day that I got the opportunity before I got too old. <laughs> 
You know, it's funny. We, we sit here and we relive all these hunts with everybody on these podcasts. We talk about these once in a lifetime or once in a, once in a lifetime opportunities or hunts or whatever it may be. And, you know, we usually typically have about an hour on these podcasts, right? You're talking about condensing 27 years of waiting a entire summer of scouting to a once in a lifetime opportunity in an hour and uh, maybe 24 minutes of description. It's insane to me when you really dive into the time frame of this. And yeah. I'm kind of curious though, at what point did you ever consider going full Remy Warren and potentially shooting a mouth tab? Uh, I want to know which one of you was crazy enough to mention it. Thomas, I feel like you were probably talking to him about it. Yeah, it, uh, it crossed my mind, but, uh, I don't think it was something that, <laughs> no offense that he could have done. <laughs> um, I don't even know if he knows what that is at this point, but, uh, a mouth tab, dad, you draw your bow back with. Oh, oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Mouth tab. Yeah. Like push your bow out. I think right. it would have been pretty difficult for him to do that, but, uh, I was all for the crossbow. I know, you know, some of the guys, it's archery only unit. Um, but at the end of the day, I told him, dad, you waited 27 years. It's pretty much almost my whole lifetime. You know, I'm, I was 31 year, 31 years old at that point. So, you know, he, he waited my whole lifetime. And I said, you know, it, it, who cares what other people think about it? Like you got injured. There's guys in Colorado who have ADA permits because they are disabled their whole life. And they hunt during archery season with crossbows, and that's perfectly fine. Um, you know, that it doesn't matter. This is your tag. This is your once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And the crossbow, like he said, it was a little cumbersome to carry. But at the end of the day, it's uh, it did the job. And he's going to have – I think he might be the only person who's ever shot a sheep with a crossbow in Colorado. I don't know. <laughs> So, you know, yeah, cool I, I actually, so. I actually did some research on that and I went back, I don't know. I want to say they had seven or nine years or something. I went back and I didn't see one other method of take as crossbow. It's either bow or rifle, you know, and I thought, and then mine's sitting there saying crossbow. So I thought, well, that's pretty cool. I might be the only person that ever killed one with a crossbow. In Colorado. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's a I don't celebration. Know a crossbow... <laughs> I don't know if a crossbow really gives you all that much of an advantage. Like you said, it's cumbersome to carry. Reloading it isn't as easy. Right. The biggest advantage really is the this movement. Is really. Is movement. You know, once you have an arrow on there, you don't have to draw to move. You don't have to move. So, yeah. you know, if that sheep had come out, and was broadside looking at me. And then I went to draw my bow on him. He may or may not have ran, you know, I, it, it's hard to say an elk would run, you know, but with a crossbow, you're already there. You're already at full draw. So that's, fair. You know, that that's the biggest advantage that I see, but the biggest disadvantage is, you know, you don't have a lot of aiming points once they remove the scope and put the, the red dot on there. It's challenging as far as distance guessing and, stuff like that. So I, but I told myself at that point that 60 was going to be my max. I wouldn't have shot at a sheep over 60 with it because it, I don't like like holding something on something's back and hoping that it drops to the right spot. And, you know, 
I I was hoping to get sixty and under kind of is is what I was hoping for, which is what I would have done with my compound as well. I mean, you know, I wouldn't have taken a shot over probably 50, 60 with my compound. So. Well, and kudos to you for holding true to that. And, uh, and I'm glad you bring this up about a crossbow because in my opinion, it's definitely not an advantage. I've had a chance to play with a few of them. They're really cool. Don't get me wrong. They're really neat. But when it comes to aiming and aiming on the fly, it, it's like having a gun without having a ballistics chart and or knowing what's actually going to happen. Right. <laughs> And it's yeah. just a, it's a guessing game. Like you said, from 50 to 60 yards, you're talking six plus inches of air difference. And uh, that makes it hard on a once in a lifetime opportunity in Colorado. Are you going to leave that up to chance? So by all right. means, I think, uh, I think it's an accomplishment and a half. And I love the fact you're sharing it with us. I was just going to mention, you know, about that mouth tab. The, the other thing really, one of the, one of the things, and some people are probably going to be like, whoa, whoa you know, it wasn't really my draw arm. That was the problem because my shoulder that I I'm left-handed. So I ended up tearing my right rotator cuff and the scapula in my right shoulder. So it was the support arm that was the problem. And even during the elk season this year, and it's been a year now since my surgery, a little over a year, my arm is still really weak. You know, I really got to do a lot to build the muscle back into that arm just to hold my bow steady, you know, and I was shooting good this year with my compound for elk season, but it got tired fast. I mean, like at the range and stuff, I mean, you know, I'd go through a half a range and I, my, I found my arm dropping all the time and I just couldn't hold it out away from my body with weight. You know, so that that's really where it came in. It wasn't so much the drawing part. It was more the the support arm. I can feel you on that one. I went through that same surgery in 2012, and uh, they completely replaced my labrum or reattached my labrum in my left arm. I didn't think it would be that big of a deal, but when you can't hold a water bottle, and when I say literally a water bottle, 16 ounces of water straight out from your body for more than 30 seconds at a time, Right. Try hold on to your bow at 4.5 pounds or yeah. some of you people carrying around an eight pound bow with 14 pounds of crap on it. You don't need think about doing that on a sheep. <laughs> yeah. My God, yeah. I'd be a nervous wreck. So, um, I mean, I, we were, it, I was just blessed that I drew the tag. I was blessed that it all worked the way that it did. And, you know, we did end it pretty quick. I mean, a 30, we had 30 days of, you know, I got my sheep on the first day, but honestly, I probably killed either the biggest sheep in the canyon or the second the biggest sheep in the canyon. So I was happy with what I what I harvested. And, you know, it, it, it really just genuinely couldn't have gone any better. The whole hunt. That's awesome. That's fantastic. And what I was going to say before is, you know, all these people that say, oh, crossbow this, crossbow that, it, it cracks me up because all it is is just people that, don't like change to anything or modernize to anything. And, you know, we, we all have $2,000, compound bows. We're not out there with recurves or right. boat, homemade bows. We're not, we're not all like that. And we're there's not really, Joe Bradley. Yeah, exactly what I was just about to say. We're not just sitting here making our own bows like Joe Bradley and going out there and just completely, you know, it's still a challenge 110% and it's just not as easy as everyone thinks. That's why it always cracks me up when people say that. I'm like, dude, you guys have no idea. (laughs) 
Sounds like Bobby's a crossbow guy. I was. I was. When Jersey brought it back out, I was. And then it went to the compound, but it's sitting right next to me. I think here's a, a fun thing to dive into this too, guys. We know on the previous podcast, we talked about your moose hunt, Thomas. And now we're diving into the sheep hunt. What was it like? And we already talked to, to Big Tom about this a little bit. What was it like watching your dad harvest the sheep? You know, we got to talk about your dad watching you harvest a moose. Let's dive into it from the opposite side now. You know, father to son, now it's son to father. Yeah, definitely. It was uh, it was something I wouldn't have missed for the world, for sure. I, I just started a new job a few months prior to that. I didn't really have much vacation. I did everything I could to make sure I was there. And like you said, I actually looked at it, started on a Wednesday was when the season started. So, you know, I had to take off some time from work and finagle that with my boss. Luckily he's a hunter too. So he understood the situation, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I wasn't going to miss it for the world. So, um, being able to go up, put the sheep to bed and then, uh, you know, just be there first thing in the morning. We, we knew the sheep we wanted, we knew where they were, both of them, both the sheep we wanted were in the same herd just so happened to be like originally they weren't when we first saw them and they worked together into this herd and there was probably what 25 sheep total in the herd mixture of rams you know everything but uh that morning you know leaving leaving the the house i mean like i said it's close to our backyard here so we didn't have to camp we didn't have to do nothing crazy so you know met yeah. at the house we drove up first thing in the morning uh, we knew where we put them to bed, so we stopped there in the dark. We waited for the sun to come up. And I could just see, you know, the the excitement in his eyes and his just just everything about him, you know, was just super excited. And it, heck, I had just been there in September with the moose hunt, so I knew exactly how how he was feeling, excitement, but at the same time, you know, stressed out of his mind because <laughs> it's it finally here. You know, he waited 27 years for this opportunity. And, you know, I could see that he was, he wasn't smiling as much as me. Let's just put it that way. There was a lot of, you know, stress in his face. So, <laughs> um, but once the sun started coming up. And it was still early in the season. <laughs> yeah, it was day one. Um, so, you know, the sun started coming up. We found the sheep started making a game plan. There were some draws coming down the mountain, some fingers. Um, we had to cross the river, go up. They were starting to work their way, like he said, east to west. Um, you know, and just helping him out. I know his shoulder still wasn't a hundred percent by any means. So, you know, if that, like you said, that carrying that crossbow was actually a pain in the ass. Not gonna lie, like <laughs> we took turns carrying it when we got close to the sheep. We were handing it back and forth. Things pretty heavy. Like, you know, I'm I'm trying to range. I'm holding the bow. We're doing this, that, and uh, finally we get up to where the, the sheep, we, we knew they were going to cross. Uh, we knew we had to make a move quick cause they were moving faster than we were. And it just, it just all worked out. We made one last adjustment. We started going up this draw, spotted them. They were ahead of us. We dropped back down and we're lucky enough to get up into this spot just in the nick of time. Like, I think we had two seconds to spare. Like I got yeah, his it, it shooting stick quick. set up, bow set up big t stepped out and i was like oh my god that's big t like that's the one i wanted him to shoot but I was like, that's the one that's the one i knew deep down he wanted to shoot crooked horn the one he nicknamed crooked horn so um 
kind of glad that it worked out that you stepped out. I think you just waited long enough for that to happen. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, then, you know, next thing you know, Kirk Horn steps out. Like he said, he shoots him. We're panicking, trying to reload the bow. I knew it was a good shot. I saw right where it hit. But, you know, reloading that bow, we're trying to do that. I look up, the sheep's rolling right at us. And I'm like, oh, my God, it's going to us over. And, like, and so long story short, like, he, he explained it all. We ended up, uh, the sheep ended up dying, like, 10 yards from us. And it just, it, you know, all the emotions hit at that point. It, it was over. Um it was definitely the most exciting thing I've ever seen my dad do. I've seen him kill a lot of animals over the years. Um, and I knew that the sheep tag was the one that he's wanted more than anything. Um, moose, sheep, goat. Uh, he's already got goat. Now he just needs the sheep or the, the moose, sorry. But uh, the sheep was definitely something that he, he really wanted and wanted redemption on because he actually is one of the lucky ones who's actually drawn twice in Colorado, he did hunt sheep in like what, 1990. Yeah. I think Something it was like 89 89. or 90. Yeah. It was like the year I was born. He drew a sheep I drew tag. that tag. The same. I drew the big Thompson tag with two points. Yeah. Exactly. That's how easy it was. To draw back year it was to draw. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, and he was unsuccessful. Then, uh, the season was different than it was in September. So I hunted 22 days, never flung an arrow. I had about, probably six or seven stocks in 22 days and just couldn't make it happen. And so, so it was a long wait <laughs> between yeah, long wait. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it just all, all came together. The emotions were flying. I, I teared up. I was crying. He was crying. We were hugging, you know, we could hear Tracy, his best friend down below. Like we could hear we were pretty far away from the road, but you could hear the guys yelling down at the road. They saw it all happen through binos and spotting scopes. And, you know, it was, it was pretty awesome when it all came through and, and it ended up being like, I don't know, I was trying to do some math on the fly there and it didn't work too well, but it was like 45 years of points combined between the two of us on those two hunts. And, you know, it's just, it, it was just insane that we both got it the same year. And yeah, I, 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 had a loss of words when it happened and I kind of have a loss of words now. It was just, you know, something I'll cherish for the rest of my life being able to see my dad do that and, uh, you know, get the sheep that we wanted as well. So, right. It, just, it, it all came And one together. of the cool things was, you know, Thomas being the guy he is, you know, was right on it with the phone. So he, you know, he's filming like literally moments after the sheep, died right next to us like he's already got his phone out you know and he's like what just happened and you know i'm just like a mess man i can't even talk so i'm like oh my god what did just happen you know so then he goes through and narrates it but it, it's pretty awesome you know i think it is anyway to watch that video on our youtube channel because it's just the um, the sheer emotion that we both have on both of those hunts is just that's what it's about. You know, that's what it's all about. So you guys got to experience two lifetime Colorado hunts the same year. And even Thomas, you said you got to go on a goat hunt that year. You guys yeah, might get the uh, chance to get a father, father, son pair again on, on both of these hunts, technically, which are you guys hoping that's yeah. going to come first? 
the moose or another sheep hunt? I hope he draws a moose tag. Luckily, I'm, yeah. I'm still pretty young and in pretty good shape, so I've got a little bit of time before, uh, you know, it, it's too hard for me to climb some mountains for some sheep. So, um, you know, I'm just praying every year that he's able to draw that moose tag and he'll be able to check off, you know, all three of them. He shot a great goat. He shot a fantastic sheep. And now, you know, I'm, I'm addicted to moose hunting at this point after – you know, spending two years, you heard the story in the last podcast, it took me two years to get that tag. Um, well, not to get it, it took me eight, 18 years or whatever it was I had. And then um, I had to turn the tag in because of fires. And then I got it back the next year. And, you know, just scouting, learning moose, like, it, you know, you see moose when you're elk hunting, you're like, oh, cool, it's a moose. And then you're like, I'd shoot that one. And then you start, you finally draw the tag and you're like, okay, I, I probably wouldn't shoot that one. And you start moving into, okay, learning the moose, learning their territory, learning how they act. Um, there's just different genetics throughout Colorado and even through the units. And you just kind of learn, you know, okay, this area over here, they don't have split fronts. They just have front, that single front, this area over here, you know, they have more than two, like mine had five on one side and four on the other, which for Shiras is, you know, fantastic. You don't get that too often. And, um, you know, so the moose hunt is something that I want to experience again, whether I hope it's him, but hell, either two of you draw in Colorado, let me know. I want to be there. So I just want to be <laughs> on a moose hunt again. And it's the best meat yeah, it, it, wild it was game awesome. I've ever had. It's phenomenal. Um, still got half a freezer full of moose meat and it's just, that's, that's what I hope happens first as a moose. But you know, if I draw a sheep tag, I'm not going to turn it in. So. <laughs> <laughs> so uh when are we going moose hunting in alaska together then that would be awesome as well um i think i'm gonna check off caribou first in alaska and then uh move on to the moose but all right i know we're on the topic of meat here and moose meat but i've got to know just because i don't know i'm a weird son of a gun and i'm just odd did you or did you not try rocky mountain bighorn sheep oysters <laughs> i gotta know no i we didn't try that no um, come on Tom, don't meat, lie to me you can be honest good, here though. the sheep meat's good <laughs> you know the steaks are good the hamburger's good it's and it was an old sheep i think the division ended up aging it at 12 and a half wow. or somewhere in there so yeah we didn't we didn't indulge ourselves in any of the no, no oysters. They are massive. I will say that. Yeah, <laughs> the biggest set of biggest set of uh, wild game testicles you ever seen. Your wife, the size of your size of your head. Things are freaking ginormous, and you got to pack them out. You oh. know, because yeah, because we were out, so you have to carry those out. <laughs> wow, so that's not even like a beer koozie. That's a full. That's a growler koozie. It is. Yeah, it's a it's a monster. Probably four pounds each. <laughs> well, uh, Man. i know we're running up on time here for the podcast guys i do have another question for you i'm kind of curious do we get to see both of these bad boys at the uh, international sportsman's expo this year oh i don't know i don't think so maybe the sheep skull would be easy but i think my uh my mount might be done by then i'm getting a full pedestal it's gonna be pretty massive it might take up the whole booth <laughs> so yeah, uh, this is exactly what it would be cool to bring them. <laughs> yeah, 
it would, would be, be really cool, cool for him, but I'm not volunteering our booth, but I mean, we do have a 10 by 20 set up at the International Sports and <laughs> Expo this year. So we might have enough room that we could hang out with him <laughs> if you needed That's a place true. to put him. That's true. We did. We upgraded <laughs> our booth this year, too. So, yeah. But, uh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's I'm hoping that my seat being worked there. on by then. Yeah. That's some awesome stuff, guys. I, I, uh, it's this is what the coolest thing about being on podcast is is hearing the stories of these once in a lifetime hunts and hearing like we all see the pictures on Instagram we all see you know but we don't ever get the story behind it and the fact that how much went into that and how much emotion went into that hunt is the coolest part to me and that is what really makes that so special of hearing everything come together and really uh piece that together so that's 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 one of my favorite parts about this is the, hearing everything come together now there's one for well, we're coming books, up on that's an, for sure yeah definitely well we're coming up on an hour here and i mean we could talk all night about this hunt like, like caleb said you I mean you're you're packing all those years into an hour's podcast of all the preparation and everything that went in i mean we could spend days talking about this but we don't want to take too much of your time here and uh, we really appreciate you jumping on with us again, you know, your second time and really getting into this hunt. Um, I know you mentioned the videos on the YouTube channel. Real quick, where can people find that YouTube channel? What's that YouTube channel so we can go uh, watch that? It's just Mile High Note Game Calls. Okay. And on then, YouTube. Uh, perfect. So on YouTube, we'll check out that video. And uh, the other thing, just for, yeah. for the listeners out there, you know, our YouTube channel, uh, we have been putting some elk calling tips on there as well. So you can go on there if you subscribe to the channel, you know, and just uh, check them out. They're all out there on the channel. I think there's six or seven of them out there. And they're just really short clips of Thomas and I in the woods and demonstrating some different calls, different techniques, things like that. So um, it's been pretty popular, our, our tip series, our, our uh, quick tip series, we called it. That's awesome. Yeah, definitely check that out, listeners. Uh, head on over there, uh, watch the video, learn up on some elk calls. You know, people like me that are dreaming of going out west to hunt elk one day definitely are going to be watching that religiously. So, <laughs> hey, uh, Caleb, you got any closing thoughts here? Yeah, um, you know, I think it sounds like we just set up the the platform for maybe a mile high note go, uh, game calls quick tips episode during the ISC sportsman's expo this year in Denver, do a little bit of live podcasting. You guys will have to come stop by the booth. We'll be set up there. You guys will be set up there. Maybe we can uh, do a little collab on that, but first and foremost, I know we've touched about it a little bit here. Conservation isn't just about harvesting animals. It's, it's kind of our contributions back to the the wilderness and, and the outdoors in general and being good stewards of that. And you mentioned on here that your one of your best friends was guiding the other sheep hunter in that unit. We've talked about a couple different encounters with other hunters while we're all hunting. And I think a, a very important closing note on this is just remember, guys, that we're all in this for the same reasons and the, and the same goals at the end of it, right? To fill our freezers and go home with a successful hunt and building memories with our family and our friends. And remember that when you're encountering other people out there, be respectful, be courteous, help out if you can. And more so than anything, just remember, you're all out there trying to do the same stuff and enjoy the same thing and, and enjoy this resource that God was so nice enough to grant us with and the Colorado Visual Wildlife sees fit to make us pay for every year. 
Yeah, and just one other note about that. You know, the the guy that uh, Tracy was kind of helping and stuff, um, I had met him a couple of times before, and uh, I was actually really, really good friends with his brother in high school. And so I actually got to be in on his sheep too, which was really cool. And he killed a nice three-quarter inch ram, and he was 67, and he, he had a little bit tougher time you know, he hunted a few more days than I did, but he still killed it early and, and he made a great shot and the, and the ram went down and I watched the whole thing, you know, I mean, it, it was just incredible to see it. And, and again, you know, it, it, it's that relationship with another hunter and sharing the experience, you know, is, is worth it. I mean, just being in on that was just another another sheep under my belt and another awesome experience. So I want to go back up there this year and meet the other three hunters because they, they changed the tags to three this year. So I want to get in on some more of it, you know, and just have some fun. <laughs> yeah. Gary, you got any closing uh, thoughts? <laughs> well, fellas, like your guys' hunting stories are honestly inspiring. Like I, I've been a Colorado resident my whole life and I'm still waiting on my, my chance at some of these, like these incredible tags. But, uh, you know, it get, it gets me all excited again hearing you guys talk about it. And like, you know, it's for me right now, it's kind of just like a, it's almost like a savings account. You're throwing money into it and getting points and kind of forgetting about it. Like at some point it's going to pay off and I'm, I just, I can't wait for it at this point. And, uh, my other side note is, your guys' bugle tube makes a hell of a good raking tool when uh, <laughs> when you're trying to sit there raking. That thing's perfect. Um, yeah, it was. It's it's been a great time talking to you guys, and I, I hope we can get you guys on for even some more stories going forward. Yeah, it, it's been fun, guys, and thanks for having us on. We appreciate it. Yeah, no, we appreciate the hell out of you, and. Uh... Make sure, listeners, you go follow the Mile High Note Game Call YouTube channel. Check out their videos. Check out their quick tips uh, and their Instagram page as well. Um, and as always, go follow the Hunt, Lift, Eat official podcast page and the Hunt, Lift, Eat official Instagram page. We'll catch you next one.